Well done to the Musos. Let's thank the Musos, friends. Eh? Oh, the whole week, they, uh, they've served wonderfully. They've certainly made our job a lot easier. And we are super grateful for your time and effort. Thanks to everyone. I know Mark thanked everyone last night. And uh, I was a bit nervous. I thought people thought it was over. I was like, hang on, tell, tell them we're still meeting today. So thank you for coming back. But we are super grateful for this church, for hosting us and uh, loving on us, opening your doors, feeding us so wonderfully. And everybody who's served, we really are grateful. I'm grateful for this team as well. Can I say the team, this great team, yeah, well done for that golf clap and... Uh, this is a great team. I, I, like Minda said, we, we, no one really knows who's going to minister. That's kind of how we try to do it. We want to be doing our best to hear God. It's much easier to say, these are the guys who are going to be preaching. It's a lot easier for me, just so you know, if I could just tell everyone, you're up, you're up, and I could sleep well at night. But I don't sleep well at night because I'm always trying to hear God, who's next, what we to do. But I do love the diversity of this team. And if you've been to all these sessions, you would see similar truth being presented, but in very different ways. And that's the strength of this team. That's how God intended it. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that God gave these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, these gifts were given by Christ to the church for the church. These gifts were not given uh, where the church supports the gift. These gifts were given where the gifts equip the church for ministry and for the saints, uh, for what it is God's called them to do. And I just love the fact that we have this team. And so I'm grateful for these guys. Thank you, all of you who ministered and who didn't minister. It's good to have you. Thanks for those guys who came from every other country as well. Uh, we, we do delight when there's something of the international, what we call to. But Canadians, this is your time. This is your moment. This is your country. This is what God's saying to you as a people. And we're super privileged just to be a part of it. We're not international guys coming here to tell you what to do. You know that, right? We're on this journey together. Wanting to hear what it is God's calling us to together, and we're standing with you, praying for you, praying with you. And it's, I think being back in your country has really given me another more, a more of a love for this great nation. I, I listen to too much news, and uh, I don't like what I hear, but uh, I'll stop listening to the news and come visit you again. How's that? And so I've enjoyed it. Thank you for your time and your, your openness. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you, please, to go to the book of John, Gospel of John, John chapter 1. And as Mark said, I'm going to do a session this morning, and then we're going to have a break. And you need to come back, because I'm leaving the best till the next session, okay? That's the goal here. That's the trick. But uh, you've got to hear it in two parts, uh, because I really want to talk about Christ-like leadership. And I realize that people kind of switch off when they hear about leadership, but we need to switch on when we hear about leadership, because I do believe there's a lack of leadership globally, I believe that there's a lack of leadership even in the local church or in the church. And it's not, in a sense, because leaders are not there. It's because leaders have been restricted to not allowed to be leaders. And I'm not in any reaction, but it's going to be find it hard to see Scripture without leadership. Whenever God wanted to do something, He found people to lead His people to something. You can't get away from that. And even if you've experienced bad leadership, which I have, I've been in situations where there's been abusive leadership or bad leadership. I've also been where there's been no leadership, and they're both very bad. But it doesn't mean because we've had a bad experience we get rid of it and we just do away with it. We need to come back to the reality and truth of what the Bible tells us. And God's not sending leaders from out there. God's raising leaders from within here. 
And so we all need to step, I think, into more of what it is God's called us to. And I want to talk a little about that if I can this morning. I, I just want to remind us that the Great Commission does not command us to make converts of Christianity. We are called to make disciples of Jesus. Converts change religions. Disciples change masters. Converts follow a system. Disciples follow a person. Converts embrace ritualism or rituals. Disciples embrace a way of life. Converts are believers who live like the world. Disciples are believers who live like Jesus. Converts are focused on their values, their interests, their worries, their fears, their priorities, and their lifestyles. Disciples are focused on Jesus. Converts go to church. Disciples are the church. Converts are involved in the mission of Jesus. Disciples are committed to the mission of Jesus. Converts cheer from the sidelines. Disciples are in the game. Converts hear the word of God. Disciples live the word of God. Converts follow rules. Disciples follow Jesus. Are you getting the theme here? Follow Jesus. Converts are all about believing. Disciples are all about being. Converts talk. Disciples make more disciples. Leadership, I believe, is about invitation and example. It's not coercion and control. It's about invitation and example. It's not coercion and control. We've got to be a follower before you can be a leader in the kingdom of God. We love leadership. We love the books on leadership. I get given books everywhere I go on leadership. Stop giving me books. Give me the money to buy my own books, please. But very little is spoken of when it comes to leadership about followership. And followership determines how much you can lead in the kingdom of God. And I'm not just talking following people, I'm talking about following Christ. And that's essential, friends, for us if we're going to lead God's people to where He's called us to. Following Jesus is foundation, foundational to all our life here on earth. What I've realized more and more is that many are content to admire Jesus. But very few are committed to actually following Jesus. And there's a difference between admiring Him and following Him. Are you there? And, and even leaders in the church are all about admiring Jesus, but they're not committed to following Jesus. I'm just going to tell you again this morning, we need Christ-like leaders. Leaders who are right, like Christ. If we want the world to see Jesus, then we need to be more like Jesus. 
If we want the church to function as the body of Christ, then we need to be more like Christ so people see Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're not the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27, Christ in us is the hope of glory. So I'm stating obvious truths this morning, but there's so much teaching around leadership and governance and all, and they are important things, but we've got to come back to more like Christ if we're going to operate in what it is God's intended for His people. Now, Jesus doesn't set out to show us our path to follow. Jesus actually says, I am your path to follow. He doesn't give us a path. He is the path. Many people, and I've had guys even ask me this week, well, you know, what is the will of God for me and how do I work it all out? And they're great questions. But you know that the will of God is not a random roadmap. It's not a, a miscellaneous or miscellaneous, picking a few scriptures and, and the roadmap laid out for us. The will of God is a relationship. As you walk with Him, He reveals more of what it is He's called us to. And that's why this is so essential, friends, in, in a season and a time when people don't know who to follow, what to follow, we just simply come back to this. Follow Christ, lead people to follow Jesus. Let's be the people who represent Jesus. People are in this nation, with all due respect, are not looking for good churches. They're looking for Jesus. And it's through his people that we to reveal Christ again. And it starts and ends with leaders who are leading God's people. In John chapter 1, and I know Paul made reference to this, but I want to read it. Verse 29, let's read it together. In John chapter 1, verse 29, this is John's revelation of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, some versions say, behold, it's not just a glance over there, wow, there's Jesus. It's, wow, stand in awe and be amazed. It's not just a glimpse, there is Jesus, good stuff, carry on. No, no, wow, behold, stand in awe and be amazed. Who's there? Jesus, look, wow, stand in awe and be amazed. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me, has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on, remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 34. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. I have revelation. I can tell you guaranteed what I have seen, what I was told, this is him. This is my testimony. You can bank your life on this revelation. This is the one. Now, why is that important? Because he was so aware of who he was declaring and talking about, it motivated others to follow what he saw. And friends, we, as Marcus wonderfully put last night, it's either flesh and blood or it's revelation. And if it's flesh and blood, with all due respect, nobody's going to follow our flesh and blood revelation. 
It's a moment. It's a tag on. It's an add on. But when you are moved by genuine understanding who Jesus is, it's going to motivate others by your testimony of who you know Jesus to be. Not borrowed from your pastor, not downloaded on a podcast, your own revelation of Jesus Christ. Not borrowed from your parents. I was saying to the team, guys, this is where we were praying this morning. My wonderful sons, I have three of them, and I'm delighted by them. They're awesome boys. They're best in the world. I'm sorry, your kids are second rate. Mine are awesome. All right? No, I'm joking. I'm kidding. Joke, laugh. It's okay. But my oldest son, and I don't want to dishonor him. I'm sure that he'll watch this. Boy, I love you. But, um, you know, when, I, when they were younger, we had rules. We believe we set the tone for what happens in our house. And so we had rules. But let me tell you that as they grew older, they realized that they, our rules were not, they're not going to play by our rules. Just one day, they need more than rules. They need revelation. And so when they're like three-year-olds, yes, set your time. But eventually there comes a time, and my old, one of my sons, I'll just put it that way, dated this girl. And I'm not anti-dating. I'm just anti-anyone dating my sons, just so you know. Right, because I know what God's called my sons to, and don't come and mess it up. No, no, I'm joking. That's coming one day. I, but I was very concerned. My dad, I'm just going to tell you, my dad will probably watch this too. When I was younger, my dad said, I don't want you to date. I said, sure, pops. I had five girlfriends because he told me I'm not allowed to date. Five at the same time. Don't disown me, ladies. I was just trying to make a point, all right? I, I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. And so I remembered that, and I remember saying to my son, boy, I don't want you to date this. I mean, she's a great girl, but she's not for you. And he's like, Dad, you know, the whole. And I went and prayed, and I felt the Father say this to me. If you get your son connected to the light, he will not live in darkness. If he's connected to your rules, darkness is there. But get them connected to the light for themselves, they will stay away from darkness. And so I had to shift my parenting from just rules to actually helping my sons get their own revelation of light, of Jesus, to walk with Jesus. Then I don't have to be that worried about what they're doing out there because they're connected to Jesus, not living by their parents' rules. Now, don't, please, parents, don't come fight me after this. I'm, I'm not, I'm just, this worked for me. But it, it helps even as leaders in the local church. Stay away from this and don't go over there. No, no, get people connected themselves to Jesus. Then they're going to be guaranteed to walk with Jesus and walk where God's called us to go. But if it's come to me, get my permission as a leader, get our permission. No, no, friends. Our role is to get people to have such revelation of Jesus for themselves that they will follow Jesus. And when they're following Jesus, we really don't have to worry too much because the future is going to look incredibly bright. There's generation in our ranks coming through younger men and women, and it's been an emphasis. And here's for me. Our job is not to give them the ways in the house. We give them the revelation, get them connected to Jesus, and watch them run with the destiny. It's in good hands if Jesus is the center or theme and focus of it all. But if it's our ways without a connection to Christ, it's religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't want to pass religion on to the generations behind us. I want them to reconnect themselves to Jesus. I've watched, I've listened, I've studied church history. What's amazing for me is if you study church history, it seems that the founding generations of these radical movements that broke through nations and regions and took the gospel, it was like the founding generation had this incredible revelation of Jesus. 
that moved them to live way beyond themselves and to do impossible stuff. But then you watch it being passed on to the next generation and you find those movements and those ministries lose their impact. And you want to know why? It's because that gen- the, the next generation were connected to the founders of the, generation, of the movement. They weren't connected to the Jesus of the founders. So we don't want them just connected to us or the stuff we do. We want them connected to Jesus so they can continue going on and on and on into the things God has for them. So John has this revelation and he describes who he's seen. And this is more than a moment. This is his, it comes out of him that motivates. I can guarantee you this is him is what he says. In verse 35, it says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. And and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Behold, look, stand in awe and be amazed. The Lamb of God. And then, love this, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. John's disciples heard John's revelation of Jesus. And when they heard what John saw, they didn't necessarily see what John saw. They heard what John saw. They left John to follow Jesus. That's the testimony we should all have. That our testimony is so real, so current, so ours, that when we prescribe, describe who we see, people might not see it, but they're so moved by our testimony that they follow Jesus. How many of you know that's a great ministry? Christ-like leadership. And then you go on, and that's where Paul picked up and preached about following Jesus. And then they walk out, I found Jesus. Jesus found me. What do you want? I'm coming with you, Holmes. But it's all about following. We found him, and it's all about following. It birthed out of this revelation, follow, follow. And this whole movement begins by not just connected to Jesus, heard about Jesus, following Jesus. Uh, let's get back to a bit of leadership stuff, and then the second session, we're going to talk about Christ-like leadership. I believe leadership is influence. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. I know that everyone in this room is a positioned leader in the church, but everyone in this room is a leader in God's eyes. Every one of us have been given a God authority to influence others. Here's the problem. If we're not influencing others, others are influencing others. And so we've been given a sphere, a, a place a, 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 as believers to influence others. So this morning, every one of us, it doesn't matter whether you'll ever be an elder or a deacon, or none, and those are great things, but they're not things to aspire. Just be who God's called you to be, friend. But let's influence our culture. Let's influence the people. You've been given that calling, and you are influencing people. Very real sense, all believers are leaders. I want to say this, we're not to take a worldly view of leadership. If I can be very honest, there's too many worldly leaders in the church and very few church leaders in the world. We're not to take too high a view of leaders. Don't have a worldly view of leadership in the church or as God's people. Don't have too high a view of leaders. Some some honor leaders above Jesus. 
Some put gifts and anointings and people above. It's hard to believe, but they do, and they do it regularly. And I listen, because I want to hear. And I listen to people talk more about a movement or a people or a preacher and all their books, and they go to all their conferences, and they talk more about the dude than the giver of those gifts being Jesus Christ. And when your faith is in leadership, you are finished. You will come down because leaders should not be carrying your faith. Your faith should be in Christ and Christ alone. So we need not too high a view of leaders. But in saying that, can I just be the other side? We also need not too low a view of leaders. I think we're good at that, Canadians and Americans. Oh, you leaders. Ah, we don't trust anyone. I don't trust, wouldn't trust them with my wheelbarrow. I wouldn't trust them. And that's cool. Be careful. But don't disown and dishonor what God's put in place. In my desire not to overemphasize or my desire not to take such a high view, we lower the view and there's no leadership. We don't want leadership. Like I, I know I sound funny, but I'm an, Aust- I'm an Australian more than anything else. And I'm an American and I'm proud, but I love Australia. I'll go back to Australia. Australia all about mateship. They love their mates, but they hate leadership. Don't tell me what to do, but don't mess with my mates. And I'm like, it's cool to have mateship, but we need leadership. So when you dishonor leadership, it's as bad as over-honoring leadership. I didn't make it like this heated. Well, I don't, don't blame me. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't write the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible to me and us. Don't have too low a view of leadership. The other thing I want to say in the kingdom, leadership is God-given. It's not earned. So if you've earned what you've got, it's not from God. If you've been given what you got, it's from God. A lot of guys tell me, well, I've done all this and I've done all this and you owe me. Well, I, last time I looked, no one owes anything anyone. I'm not owed. I'm the least. Honestly, friends, I don't say this lightly. I, I'm the least, I believe, earning to be leading this team. I know guys who've served God way longer than me, who've been more faithful to God. I walked away from the whole thing. I was not into I'm not going to put it all out there, but I'm the least. And these guys served faithfully. They were there. They deserve this. And when I was handed this team 18 years ago, I didn't want this team, and I certainly don't believe I was earning it. And I felt the Lord one day rebuked me and said, stop apologizing for what I gave you. I'm so undeserving. And yes, I am undeserving. I've said all that, but I don't apologize for what God's done. We've got to get on with it, right? Some of us maybe have been taught this Babylonian-style leadership. You're faithful here. You do your best. You climb the ladder. And I'm just telling you, there's no ladder here. If you're climbing a ladder, stop. You're wasting time. It's not earned. It's God-given. And you only want what God gives you, not what people want you to be. I'm going to tell you this. God always uses ordinary people. Period. He uses ordinary to accomplish extraordinary things. It's interesting how Jesus did not choose one scribe or one Pharisee when he launched the church. Acts 4.13 tells us he used unschooled ordinary. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go to school, all right? I'm not, yeah, I know, my kids, hey, Dad, how do I, why do I have to go to school if they were unschooled? I, mm, please hear that. It's not about your pedigrees and degrees that qualify you in the kingdom of God. And they're important to have those things, and if that's your thing, go for it. But it doesn't qualify you to be a leader in the kingdom of God. Remember, if we focus on our abilities, we'll always feel overwhelmed and inadequate. 
But if we focus on who God is and what He has done, we will feel confident and secure. If we focus on what others always say about us, we will feel either pride or pain. And that can happen in the same meeting. Well done, Tyron. Gee, that was terrible, Tyron. Same meeting. Who cares? I mean, I love people, but who cares? And the older you get, the less you care. Just so you know, it's wonderful, actually. If you focus on what God says about us, we'll feel appreciative and thankful. If we focus on what the world says, we will always change our mind to agree with culture. If we focus on what God says, we can live a life based on conviction rather than convenience. We focus on what the world says about relationships, then that part of our life will either be marked with pain, frustration, and regret. If we focus on what God says about relationships, then that part of our life will be marked with joy, with victory, and with life. If we focus on what the world says is valuable, he will, we will waste our lives in pursuit of meaningless things. But if we focus on what God is, says is valuable, we invest our lives in things that matter for eternity. We focus on what the world says about the church. Please hear this, leaders, or potential leaders in the church. We focus on what the world says about the church. We'll see it as either useless or something we can use. We focus on what God says about the church. We'll honor His bride. And we'll treat her with honor and respect. If we focus on our past, friends, we will live in defeat. If we focus on our potential in Christ, we can live and lead in victory. I believe leadership is key to growth, is key to security, is key to stability. Now, I don't want to give us a checklist here this morning, but I want to highlight some things of leaders we need in this season. We need leaders to be things, and, and Christ-like is the first one, but I'm going to use it as the last one because I want to take a whole session and unpack Christ-like leadership looking at the life of Christ, if we get there. Note there's a clause, if we get there. But we need, number one, leaders who are called by God. Now, I'm stating obvious things, but let me tell you, as I said the other night, 35,000 churches shut down through COVID in America to never reopen again. It's a lot of churches. There are many reasons for that, I'm sure, but possibly one of them is, and I'm not throwing rocks at the leaders, maybe they were position-led churches rather than call-led churches. And what I mean by that, a position is, I'm gonna use, this is my job, and I can find another job if this job doesn't work out. Call is, this is my call, there's nothing else I can do. And I, I'm gonna confess this morning, through this crazy season, I considered something else. Surely, if I'm stuck, locked up, locked down, can't travel, my job's to go. Let me confess a little more sin while I'm on the thing. I was so frustrated through COVID. This is what I said to my family, my wife and my boys. I'm frustrated. I'm stuck here. Let's plant a church. Another one. Like I planted already and then we handed that over. We based there. But I was so frustrated with everything. I'm just being honest. Them and everyone else. And the government, forgive me, sorry, Trump and Biden and all those guys. But I, I, I was so frustrated, I said, I'm going to plant a church. And out of, we'll just plant this church, get it going, get going. And when COVID finishes, we'll hand it over to someone and carry on. Now, that was, uh, biblically, I could do that. I mean, that's multiplication, right? 
We heard about that last night. Send out multiple. And then I, I, I was praying, not about doing it, because I was going to just do it. Why not? It's the commission. And I felt the Lord paused me in one of my father moments with him. And he said to me, if I dropped into my spirit, do, do, do you start lampstands or do I start lampstands? Like what Marcus was telling us last night, Jesus is walking amongst his lampstand. He's not walking along our burst out of frustration gathering of people. We don't just shut churches down because they're not working, because they're not big enough. They're lampstands. We need to find out what God wants to do, not what we think is success and not. We don't start things out of frustration. God will never bless anything out of reaction. It's always out of revelation. Please hear that, friends. Be wise and careful with the lampstands that he's given life to. Don't dare mess them up and get in the way or shut it down or start something God's not in. And we wonder why 35,000 churches shut down. Not God's fault. Maybe God wasn't in it. <laughs> Are you still honoring me? Are you still my friend that I've been honest with you out of my frustration? But we need to understand calling, friends. And, and I don't fully understand the whole calling thing, but I think we've got to settle some things this morning in this room. Calling. Yeah, Mark referenced these texts, but I want to read a couple of Ephesians 4 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, this is what Paul says. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 says, We constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Verse 10, it says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. The message, Eugene Peterson's version says, So friends, confirm God's inv invitation to you, His choice of you. And I believe a call is an urgent appeal from God Himself. I, I believe it's a big deal because it's a big deal to Him. And I believe it comes with authority and responsibility. God calls us first to Him and then to what He's called us to do. Now, here's what I want to say. They are general. When it comes to calling, please understand this. Calling is general call for all believers. And you can interpret these texts through that. All of us are called to general things together. But there's also general calling and then there's specific calling. Are you listening? General, we all call to do these things together. We call to keep faithful. We call to preach the gospel. We all call to do general things. Those things are not up for debate. But there's also specific callings that God has for his people. Agreed. And if you only focus on the general, you'll never walk in the specific. But if you're not faithful in the general callings, you will never find your specific calling. I'm not trying to limit us. I'm trying to liberate us this morning in this room. And so I believe when it comes to calling, and it's more than this, and I'm still working through this, but I'm, I'm trying to help people because obviously my role is meeting with a bunch of leaders and people and pastors. And, and here's the thing that's often said, we don't retire in the kingdom, right? So that does not mean you should be a pastor till you die. I 
I mean, you can, but you're going to be like 95 and I'm not a retiring man, so I'm going to just hold on and the church is going nowhere and everyone's left, but hey, I don't retire because I've got to prove. And I've realized, hey, actually, calling is not linked to your church. So I believe, and again, it's more than this, but I'm hoping we can help each other through this. There are four questions that we need to ask ourselves, not to question ourselves, but to settle some things. Four questions that we need to ask to help us understanding calling. Number one, who am I called to be? Who am I called to be? Second question, what am I called to do? What am I called to do? Thirdly, where am I called to serve? You listening? Where am I called to serve? And fourth question, how am I called to serve? How am I called to serve? Who am I called to be? What am I called to do? Where am I called to serve? And how am I called to serve? Now, here's what I want to say in all of this. I believe that who am I called to be is never going to change. It doesn't, it's not linked to title. It's not linked to place. It's not linked to church. It's not linked to a location. The other things, other questions will change all the time. But what I'm called to be will never change. Are you listening? This has to liberate you, friend. You don't have to prove yourself. Go be yourself. You don't have to be in this to be it. You just be it. So, if I can just talk about my dad for a moment. See, my dad, in my whole life, I'm 50 years old now. I was born in ministry. I, I'm not as a minister. I was born into church. My dad was in, I was born in Zimbabwe, which was Rhodesia, all right? I was there for six weeks. I was born there six weeks. I mean, not for six weeks I was born, but I was born and then six weeks. And my dad was simply setting up tents, knocking on doors, inviting people to come hear the gospel and preach the gospel. I was born in there. Then we moved to South Africa and church planting all different denominations. And then one day we got free from it all, praise God, and just got back to the Bible. But it was church, it was church, it was ministry. So all I know is my dad as a leader, as a pastor, as a minister. I don't know him as anything else. And so my dad is, he, he part of birthing, part of this thing that we're part of today, and I'm grateful to it. 18 years ago, we were handed the leadership of NCMI, which is a whole other story, and we won't get into all that. But because he handed over NCMI to us as the leaders, it doesn't mean that he doesn't be who God's called him to be. And so I would visit my dad regularly, and he would tell me, Tyron, I'm so like, wish God would take this vision out of my mind, out of my head. I can't sleep at night with vision. I've got to carry this stuff. And I used to say, well, Dad, I'm sorry. And he's like, gee, I just wouldn't. Because there's nothing I can do about this vision. It's like when I handed the team to you, I didn't lose the vision. I just can't be the guy doing it anymore. And, and it was a frustration for him. And to be honest, for me too, because I don't know what's supposed to do with this guy anyway. I'm like, okay, well, we'll pray. And and I have been studying this text and these truths over, over COVID for me, like calling, because I'm not able to travel. Does it change? Yeah, a whole lot of stuff. And I went back to Australia in August, and I sat with him, and he's like, again, hey, Tyron, I'm so happy, but gee, I've got this stuff, and I can't do it. And I'm like, Dad, let me explain what I think when it comes to calling. I said, I believe that who you're called to be will never change. God's not going to take that away from you. That's what it is. You're going to have that till you go to be with him. 
But where you're called to serve, what you're called to do, how you're called to serve is going to change, and it has changed. But what he's called you to be will never change. And he, like it was like the, the penny dropped for him where he was like, yeah, that's true. Wow, gee, thank you for helping me. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's for me confirmation. Maybe I'm on the right track. And I'm trying to liberate us here this morning. Friend, it's not about where you serve. It's what you're called to be. It doesn't change. And if you could settle that, then you can function in anything God wants you to function, wherever God wants you to function, as long as he's true to who you're called to be. Because this is not with, without repentance. It doesn't change his call for you. He keeps his call for you till Jesus comes back. In actual fact, Paul used an illustration last night or yesterday. I love it. I've been reading the book of Acts, and I'm going to the end of the book of Acts. And Paul, the calling Paul had, he was still living in it. He had everyone come to him. He couldn't go to them, but he still was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, Acts chapter 28, verse 31 and 32, whatever. He, he was invited them to him. He still preached the gospel of the kingdom and taught about Jesus, but they came to him. He couldn't go to them. So the call was still there. He still lived his call. He just didn't function in it like he used to, but it didn't stop who he was. Are you listening, friend? It liberates you this morning. Settle not what people want you to be, not who you want to be, who God's called you to be, and then you can function anywhere, anytime. Those other things will change. They must change, but who you're called to be will never change. If we can settle that, we don't need whatever lies next to wipe the church out because churches are linked to position-led leaders rather than calling. Settle God's call for you. It's an amazing thing how Paul writes Ephesians chapter 1. I love the book of Ephesians. And he says this, I, Paul, that's who I am. An apostle, that's what I do. Of Christ Jesus, that's who I represent. By the will of God, that's my authority, to the Ephesus church, the Ephesians, that's my sphere. I'm Paul, I'm an apostle, I represent Jesus, it's by the will of God is my authority, and there's my sphere. He settled those things, and look how awesome it was in able to function in his calling, because he wasn't fighting to be something or trying to prove himself, he had settled the call of God. We need to settle callings this morning, don't settle for it, settle in it, and function wherever God wants you to. Otherwise, you're going to spend your lives, young men and women, looking for the call of God, only to find you missed the call of God. Because the call of God is not something out there. It's something He's called you to be. So we need leaders who are called by God. Not pick me, coach. Not I want to be chosen. Why don't you recognize me? No, no. God has called me. How many of you know that's a strong leader who settles, I'm called by God? Not arrogant, simple, God's called me. Friend, please settle that this morning. Settle who God's called you to be. Secondly, we need leaders, which is linked to this, who are convinced in his call. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to be called, it's another thing to be convinced. And I, I, I meet called people. I can see the call of God all over their lives, but they're not convinced. How many of you know that's dangerous? If you need someone to convince you every time you have a meeting that you should be the leader, friend, there's something wrong. Now, we can have moments, and I think we all have had some questions through the season. But if it's a daily question of whether I'm called of God, and this is, you best get convinced. If you're called by God, get convinced in the call, because we need some convinced people to lead God's people into their glorious inheritance. 
Is that right? Doesn't mean you can't have moments of doubt. It's good to have moments of doubt because then you realize you're not God's gift to the world. But we need to be convinced. I mean, I nearly spoke on this subject this morning, but if you want to study a great understanding of calling and conviction in the calling, it's this life of David. King David was called and anointed to be the king of Israel. And he was anointed, he was overlooked, as you know the story in 1 Samuel 16, go read that story. His own father didn't recognize him as a son. Because he got all the other brothers in, and then they, they and Samuel's like, okay, well, um, none of these guys. Do you have another son? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, gee, you're right. But he's taking care of the sheep. Probably a good sign, huh? Come on in. And so he walks in, and David missed the party. He didn't even know what the party was. He wasn't invited in. He's like, oh, what's happening here? And he waltzes in there, and the Lord says, this is the one. So David's like, yeah, what, one what? You're the king. You can anoint you. The brothers are mad. Everyone's overwhelmed. Even, and they pray over him. And guess what happens? He doesn't walk out of there as king. You know what he does? He goes back to taking care of the sheep. Like, well, hang on. If I was anointed in front of my brothers, I'd be like, one of you are taking care of the, the sheep now. I'm your king. Hey, Jesse, my dad, you forgot about me. Best you go take care of those sheep. Are you listening? And so anointed as king, then goes back to being the sheep boy. But he's anointed to be the king of Israel. But he's happy to play his role wherever he is. And he plays his role there well. And then his brothers go to war when there's no war. And his father says, take your brothers, serve your brothers. Take them food. Now, I would be like, Dad, you remember I'm the king. They should be bringing me food. But okay, I'll do this. He didn't do that. He went. And he brings food to his brothers, serving his brothers, although he's the king. And then he sees there's this battle that's not happening. You got Israel sitting over there, the army over there, and one dude's shouting out, Raro, who wants to fight me? And he's like, well, there's, there's no battle here. What's going on here? They're like, wow, well, this guy's a giant. We can't. And he says, no, 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 I'll take this dude out. Come on now. And they, not because I'm anointed king, because I've taken out a bear and a lion. This is an uncircumcised Philistine who's defying God's army. I'll take him out. I'll oh, sit down, shut up. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, okay, I'll do it. Okay, you can do it. Put on my armor. The whole story, it doesn't happen. He goes there, he takes out, serves faithfully. He becomes the worship leader for Saul. I mean, friends, you can read this story. It takes 15, 18, maybe 20 years from when he was anointed to be king to when he finally became king. And I want to say this, one of the things he was able to do through all seasons of anointed, called to the commission he was consistent. And it's a thing that lacks, I think, in the body of Christ today. You get a calling, you settle your call, and then suddenly it's not happening. So you know what? God's not in it. And I've seen men and women, young and old, friends of mine who've been hijacked on this walk because it didn't happen they wanted, the way they wanted it to happen or when it happened or how it happened because they didn't understand the call does not guarantee the commission instantly. But if you're not faithful through the seasons, God can't bring you into what He has for you. Is that all right, friends? So you might be sitting here and saying, I was here five years ago and I got this call in this room, in this meeting, and still not. Well, friend, it didn't say the call is guaranteed you're commissioned as you walk from the door. We've commissioned guys this week. Doesn't mean you now go and do it. It's you walking in the call and the call has to be walked out. And if you're not faithful, I don't believe that David would have become the king, even though he was called and commissioned to be king, 
I don't believe he would have become king if he wasn't faithful in every situation God put him in. So some of us, you don't earn the commission, but you've got to stay faithful in the call to walk in the commission. And that's just a lacking thing today. You with me? It's not for young people, it's for old people. There's older people in this room like me, and I like to say that I'm 50 now, I can be old. It's not an age thing, it's a calling thing. And there are men and women in this room who are over 50, who are hanging in there hoping it's still God's promise. But are you being faithful in what you're in, not looking to the next thing? See, I had guys come here this week and say to me, Tyron, like, how do you know the next thing? And here's what I've found, because I've always, I know there's more for me, and I've served, in, I've served men and women, I've served, I've served in the church. Believe me, I wasn't born the leader of NCMR, right? I, I wasn't born an elder either. I, I've done some of those things, and I've always been saying, Lord, I know there's more. But, and, 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 and here's what I've read. I went and read Scripture, and I found it interesting that God always found people where they were serving faithfully. Not those who are looking for the next thing. So, Moses was not looking to be the leader of, of, of God's people. He was faithfully taking care of the sheep. He sees the burning bush. He goes over. God says, take my people. You're the answer to their prayer. Bring them out. Joshua wasn't saying, hey, this guy's not doing the job. Pick me, Lord. The Lord says, you faithful, you take them in. David wasn't saying, hey, I want to be the king. He was missed the party. He was taking care of the sheep. God found him, said, you're the guy. You can go right through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Paul was not looking to be this great church planting apostle. He was a persecutor of the church, doing what he knew best, on the road to Damascus to persecute, imprison, and kill Christians who were speaking against what he believed. And in that encounter, God found him, picked him, chose him, and he went and faithfully served the Lord. He wasn't looking to be that. God found him being faithful even in the wrong thing. Jesus' disciples didn't go find Jesus. Jesus found them faithfully serving as fishermen and tax collectors. And he said, come follow me. I'm just going to say to you this morning, if you're waiting for the next thing, are you being faithful in the now thing? Even if the now thing you don't believe is from God, it doesn't matter if it's from God. If it's where God put you, be faithful in it and watch what God can do. But if you're always looking for the next thing, you're going to miss the now thing and not be found faithful and miss the full call that God has for you. And that's not for position. That's leaders who want to lead God's people who right now are leading God's people and you're looking for them more. Are you faithful with what you've got? Well, we want to win our cities. Well, are you, are you shepherding those you've already got? God's not giving you more if you're not faithful with what you've got. You can't be given more. <laughs> this is going very different to our plan and that's okay. Are you, are you all right with me? Are, you, are we friends? We're not friends. We are colleagues right now. <laughs> Let me say being convinced of his call means laying hold of your call means owning both your potential and your limitations. If you settle your call and are convinced in it, it means you own your potential but also your limitations. It's wonderful to know what you can't do. And we wish you would all know what you can't do so you don't try and do what you can't do. And we can all step in and what we can do with you can do and together we can do it. But if you think you can do it all, you can't. So I want to just tell you there are things you've got to settle in that actually that's not what I'm good at. I'm not called to do that. I need others around me who can do that. That's why we need team. What hinders our call? Undermining his divinity in it. When we undermine his divine nature in what we're doing, 
I want to say to us, keep an ever-present sense of His divine call and destiny in your life. Every day matters in the call of God. Not when you get a moment to preach or speak. Or if you settle your call, don't underestimate the power of the divine call of God in everyday living. When no one sees it, God sees it. I think part of this crazy season we've gone through and why people have fallen away is because they haven't understood in everything God is there. Keep your call fresh in your mind as you face all challenges and carry responsibilities. Gives you courage and confidence against opposition and in the face of human challenges. I think another thing that undermines our calling is being unaware of what God's doing. We've talked about that. But how many of you know, if you don't know what God's doing, it's very hard to live in your call. Ignorance is not bliss in the kingdom of God. In leadership, we need to know what God's doing. We've got to get better at that. And it helped me. I'm confessing through the season. I was so mad. I was so angry. I looked at that. And then one day God reminded me, have you seen what I've been doing? And it gave me an understanding in my call to connect with what God's doing because I saw eventually what some of the stuff God was doing. Unable to hear God is a dangerous thing when it comes to your call. If you don't know how to hear God, you're in danger of not walking in the call of God. There's no secrets. There's no tricks. There's no formulas. It's simply listening. I love Brendan's preach yesterday. It was the simplest preach I've ever heard. Just gaze upon his beauty. Go and hang out with your pops. Not, I'm turning off all the noises and I'm coming with my Bible and my notebook and I just go be with him and watch how you'll speak. But we need to hear God if we're going to walk in the calling. All of us, not your pastors and your leaders, you as a follower of Jesus need to be hearing God for yourself. In actual fact, prophecy should confirm what we're hearing, not hear God for us. That's old covenant. In the Old Testament, I needed a prophet to tell me what God's saying. This New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil between God and man was ripped from head to toe, top to bottom, and I have access to God. I don't need a prophet to tell me what God's saying. I go to God for myself. However, we need prophets to, in a sense, confirm, or if it is directional, we need to go to God to hear God for ourselves. Because too many people are running with prophets' words rather than God's words and have no conviction and will not stay the course if they haven't heard God themselves. No offense to you prophets, we need you. But to do your New Testament job, not to live old covenant lives. And just while I'm here and getting in more trouble, this prophetic thing of that God does nothing but first speaking through the prophets is absolute nonsense biblically. It's an old covenant truth in a context there. Do you think God owes the prophets an explanation to tell his people before he can do anything? It's a context of a situation in the Old Covenant for a very specific, but we've built a theology which means I need the prophets to tell me first. Then God, you're missing it if you're listening for prophets. You best go to God yourself. While I'm here, one of the, I'm not getting to this stuff, right? Just so you know. Listen, I'm just going to be another more vulnerable. Here we are. So I was ticked off at our prophets in America because they got it all wrong. Like all wrong. Like from who's going to win the elections to what's going to happen and the turnover. And, and I'm just telling you, I bought in, unfortunately, because I live in America. It's very easy to buy into that nonsense. Just, and if I'm offending you, I'm trying not to, but biblically you're wrong if you think, anyway. But, and I'm an American, okay? So I'm talking as an American. We needed some shaking because our faith was in our government, not in God. And God will never play that game. 
And I was disappointed. I was mad. I was like, gee, prophets, where were you? Where were you? And I, I remember saying, why didn't we hear about COVID? Surely you should have been warned about this. And then I read Ken Grenfell's, and I'm like, well, we were. We just didn't interpret it. But I'm like, and I was in a prayer meeting with, and I was like, gosh, I'm so mad at these prophets. And man, Donald Trump didn't win. What happened to that thing? It's election stolen. And what happened here? And Lord, you couldn't. Where were you prophets? Where were the prophets? You know what the Lord said to me? Where were you? I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophet. I never claimed to be a prophet. Never. And then I realized, and he made me, uh, reminded me to go read John 15. Oh, most well-worn text through COVID, was it not? Oh, just while I'm here, let me just say this. I have not met a person who said to me, if I had more time, I'd spend it with Jesus. I've never met a person who hasn't said that to me. If only I had more time, it would be with Jesus. And then you know what happened? The whole world shut down. The whole world for some time. And when I ask people after COVID, how many of you spend more time with Jesus? Very few hands go up. Why? It's not a timing thing, friend. It's a value. It's not timing. You will make time for what you value. We had time and people watched Netflix and left each other and went and spent more time with their family, which is cool, but not more time with Jesus. Why? Because your value, you'll make time for what you value. But I was, Lord, where were you? Where the prophets? And Lord, where were you? And I went and read John 15, and it goes on, I'm the vine, the branches, where apart from me can do nothing. But it goes on and it says, um, I no longer call you servants. I now call you friend. Because a servant does not know his master's business. But I've revealed to you everything, my father. And I felt the Lord challenged me. You need a shift in your posture, you and God's people and leaders, to move back to being not just servants of Christ, but friends of Christ. You don't need the prophets to tell you what the Lord's saying if you're a friend of Christ because Christ's not holding out his plans. He's giving us the secrets of heaven. And that's not for elders. That's for every person in this room. You get to be a friend of Jesus. And he calls you friend because he entrusts you with the secrets of heaven. Where were you, tyrant? Not where were the prophets? Why did you? And I came in, I got in that prayer meeting. I said, you know, guys, we need to go into this next season with a posture shift. Yes, he's... Lord, yes, I'm his servant, but he's my friend and he wants me to know. And we should be, maybe have more surprises, but be less surprised for what lies ahead if we go to our friend, Jesus, and let him speak to us. Unable to hear God, friend, we best hear God above everything else, not just for the seasons, but also for our understanding of our call. A.W. Tozer says, the one who does not expect God to speak will discount every single time that God does speak. Can I also just say this? It's very hard to hear the voice of God if you've already determined what you want Him to tell you. Another thing that undermines our calling is our unwillingness to do what He says. Nice to hear God, right? It's great to hear God, but it's not good to do what God says. Mm, not sure, Lord. That doesn't fit in. That's not you, God. You know, I've got three sons, 22, 20, and 16. They all three have a disease that has, can cost them their lives. All three of them. It's called selective hearing. <laughs> and it will cost them their lives if they select what they want to hear rather than hear what they need to hear. And I want to tell you, the church has selective hearing and leaders have selective hearing. And when it comes to our calling, we're very selective in what we hear. 
Don't call me Lord, Lord. Not do what I say. Unmet expectations. That will take you out of your calling if you are living with unmet expectations. Now, listen, there are things I expected that have never happened. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes your heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And I realize that all of us, I'm sure, have hope deferred. I've got hope deferred. Things that, but let me tell you this. We need some trees of life. We need to be a people who trees of life. Our calling requires trees of life, which means longings being fulfilled, which means the longings we have must be from God and the things we're running after better have been from God, not from people who saw things in our lives that are not from God. But if you've got unmet expectations this morning, I'm gonna prophesy over you. You will not walk in the call God has for you until you sort that out because one day it's gonna take you up. Underlying issues and unresolved hurts is another thing that takes you out of your call. We all have those. Hurt people will always hurt people. Can't live with poison inside of us and not expect it to eventually do us harm. And so for your sake, your call, for what God's called you to do and the people you're called to reach, I beg of you today to deal with that stuff once and for all because it will take you out of your call. Unfulfilled in your call and walk. If you only are for the high moments, the mountaintops, and I want those, give me them. I think equips are generally mountaintops. Everyone loves each other. Everyone's paid to be here. It's not like tomorrow where everyone has to come to church. Yeah, you paid to come. You chose to be. It's so wonderful to preach to people who have taken time to be here. I love equips. I mean, I wish every meeting could be like this. Because Yeah, come on, say, mm, preach, mm, ouch, ouch. But I'm coming back because I paid. Or I drove all the way, I flew, I have to come back. But other guys are like, football's on, I'm out. Anyway, that's another story for tomorrow. But, but what I've found, if you are unfulfilled in your call, here's the problem with being an apostolic people. I love apostolic. I mean, I don't believe there's anything other than apostolic Christianity. You can't read the Bible without it. It's not our NTMI tag on. Or, it's biblical. You can't, you can't be a follower of Jesus and not go. Can't be a believer and not go. So going is apostolic. It's apostolos. It's the sent one. It's we all sent. We've heard that. But the problem with an apostolic people is this. There's an unholy restlessness too. And we better know the difference. And you can get away with unholy restlessness in an apostolic people because you're just about going because you don't want to stay because you don't like where you are. And we've got younger men and women too who are like, come on, I want to go work in the world for Jesus. That's cool, but maybe God's called you to be here for a season. Yeah, but I, I'm called to go. And so it's this unholy restlessness. And this is what I want to tell you. If it's unholy, it's going to take you out of God's call. It won't launch you into God's call. Remember me wanting to plant my church because I was frustrated? Unholy restlessness. Church planting is biblical, but not for the wrong reasons. I'm going to Africa because I don't like Canada. No, no, you don't want to go to Africa. Trust me, I was just there. It's a great place. Just enjoy your electricity while you have it. That's all I can say. <laughs> no, but do you, are you with me? I've got sons who've grown up frustrated, and they got, there's a whole world, and everywhere they go, people invite them. Come join our church. Come be on our eldership. And it's attractive, and maybe it is God, but it can't be I'm going because I'm frustrated. That's unholy. If it's God, walk through the doors. If it's not, stay where you are. There's no better place for you. But don't let this unfulfilled 
thing that drives you, because it'll drive you to the wrong thing and you will not serve the plan and purposes of God. I believe so much of today's lack is a result of an unfocused yesterday. Completed obedience establishes a generational echo. We've got to complete what God's given us to do. All of us have to finish what God's given us to do because it has ramifications for people around us and for generations behind us. I believe legacy is the outcome of a focused investment. You want a legacy? I believe legacy has to do with our past. Destiny has to do with our future. If you want a legacy, and I, I don't know what that means, but I'm 50, so I want a legacy. But you know what? Legacy is not I do it and then I hand it off. If I want a legacy, I've got to let the next generation run with destiny in order for me to have a legacy. Not what I did, what God did with the people behind me. And another thing is underestimating his promotion or provision to how we respond. I, I, I honestly wish God did it all and we could cheer him along. That's the dream. I love prayer meetings, but it's almost like prayer meetings are cheering God to do everything he's told us to do. Okay, God, you do it. We need revival. I mean, it's coming up. Here we go, revival. Now, can I just say we do need revival, but not revival where God moves and we watch. Honestly, I, I wish it would be that easy because, man, this job would have been done 2,000 years ago. Here we sit. God move. God's like, you move. We're like, no, you move. And he's like, you move. And I, somebody move. And we are, oh, God's going to move again. Canada needs revival. Canada needs God's people to be Christians. Canada needs God's people to step into what God's already given us. And sure, we need God to blow his wind again. And sure, we need God. And he's willing and wanting. But he's not going to do what he's told us to do because he's God and we're not. So it's awesome to say, God, until you do it, nothing can happen. God says, until you do it, I ain't going to do it. And we can arm wrestle and watch people go to hell. Or we could step up and say, all right, we're not taking God's place. But our response to God is what God can do in and through us. And you're going to struggle to find anything else in Scripture. Because every time God wanted to do something, He picked people to do it. He didn't just do it and then find people to follow. I wish He did the other way. Because I think it would have got done. We'd all be in heaven rejoicing. Here we sit talking about God needs to do. I'm being as gracious as I can, but one day we've got to say, actually, God gave us a commission. We don't just stick to the plan and watch what God will do. But we sit here and say, well, my calling, it needs to be worked out. God's got to do it. Well, you also got to activate some of the stuff he's called you to. <laughs> Are we okay? Acquaintances again? Are we friends? I got his landers, and we haven't got through three, three of my 12. Okay, we need to go and have coffee because it's... You're such good listeners, I can't stop speaking. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm blaming you, absolutely. That's what leaders do. Christ-like leaders blame other people, right? <laughs> uh, listen, I, I, I realize I never get to my, through my notes. But, but I really hope you are hearing. I mean, we got stuck on the one of being convinced, but maybe for a reason, you know. And uh, settle your call, friend. Just settle it. It will bring liberty to you and those around you. And then next session we'll talk about Christ-like leadership.
Father, we just bless these amazing friends in this room. And we are your people. And I ask, Lord, that which is not you today that I've said, I ask you as the one who said it to remove it from our hearts and ears. But Lord, that which has been you, man, I, I ask that it takes root in the hearts of men and women today. Hearers and responders and doers. I pray even now, would you settle in the calling you have. Let them be settled. Let us settle in it. But let us step up with the call. Those who are stressed over this and trying to find their place in it all, would you just settle those things today, Lord? can serve anywhere, we can do many things, but what you've called us to be is not up for question anymore. Whatever comes our way, we want to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. In Jesus' name, amen.